Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Shut up. James Murphy was great last Just week, by the way. Do the show. Do Did an awesome show. job. Dave, but we are do glad to have show. you back. It's good to see you back. Do thanks, the show. Ken, Judd, do, Judd, do the show. Everyone. Yeah, you're great. Wow, thanks, Kenny. Do the show. I'm not bailing this out. Do you want us to do the show? <laughs> I'm not saving this. Should we do the show? How have you train wrecked the show before it technically even began on a Monday morning? Because it's, it's a Monday. Because it's a Monday. Judd barrels I'm ha- in. I'm having fun. <laughs> Judd, be- I'm having a good deep time. On a Monday. Take the rest of the week off, Judd. <laughs> oh, I wish. You don't know how much ding, I wish. Ding. I think that the NFL knows what Randy Moss has done with marijuana. And I think the NFL knows what Randy Moss does with marijuana. Moss! And Randy Moss, without even really being able to run, as he shoots the moon to the fans here in Green Bay. That is a disgusting act by Randy Moss. I do think I'm the greatest receiver to ever do it. This year has been a a down year for me statistically. The year before I retired was a down year, and then in Oakland was a down year. So I don't really live on numbers. I really live on impact and what you're able to do out on that field. So... I really do think that I'm the greatest receiver to ever play this game. Somebody started screaming, and I and I knew who it was right away. And um, he just said that, you know, he, well, I wouldn't feed this crap to my dog, only use a different word. Yes. Randy Gustanucci from way back. Uh, that was fun. That was one of our. That was 2010. That was in the in the infancy of 1500 ESPN. Yeah, our little live broadcast afternoon. At you brought in your Randy Moss jersey, and you get a free uh, lunch on Gustanucci, which was fantastic. Yeah. So uh, let's. We've got a few sound bites from the Randy Moss Hall of Fame speech over the weekend. There's there's a lot to get to with some of these Hall of Fame speeches, but let's just play some of these sound bites, and you and I can react. Um, I really enjoyed, actually, before we got to the heavy hitters like the Randy Moss, Ray Lewis, I really enjoyed some of the preliminary ones. Uh, Bobby Bethard, because he's suffering from Alzheimer's disease, mm-hmm. they did a pre-recorded thing where he could kind of patchwork his thoughts and then they just aired it on the big screen. I thought that was awesome. Um, remind me, old school Green Bay Packer. Jerry uh, Kramer. Jerry Kramer. Offensive lineman, yep. Told some great stories. He's, old school he's stories. He's still incredibly sharp. Yes. Jerry Kramer is very, very sharp. Did still. you happen to hear the anecdote? He, I watched his whole speech live and then watched the other ones on demand later. And he told a great anecdote about negotiating a contract one off season where he was going to maybe go to the to another team. And the negotiation figures were 
$7,000. If you can get $7,000 for your next season, then, you know, that's a big win. And I think he asked for like $8,000, and the owner said, all right, that's good. Maybe I should have maybe I should have stumped for $10,000. Oh, they gave it to him. I was yeah. going to say, I thought they'd say but buzz off. That, like, these dudes are holding out if they're making 20 like, Kirk Cousins held out, or not, he didn't hold out, but he was mad about $25 million. Mm-hmm. And, you know, poor guys like Jerry Kramer 50 years ago are getting eight grand, and, and they're happy and they about have to it. like it. So Randy Moss with his uh, Hall of Fame speech. Let's start with this one about Dennis Green. First and foremost, I got to give the credit to where it's due. Where would we be without Dennis Green? Because he wouldn't have drafted me. Where would the Minnesota Viking true Randy Moss real fans be if Dennis Green would have never pulled that trigger at the 21st pick? Which does beg a very interesting question, which is this. Who would have stopped his fall? Because I, I think Moss is right. Ooh. I think Moss is right. I think if you, if the Minnesota Vikings have a different coach, I don't think they draft him. Because, I mean, he he was falling because of concerns that, that teams thought were were legitimate. Like behavioral. Yeah, and sure. he had been what? He had, he had uh, attempted to go to two colleges, and that hadn't worked out. So that that's how he the, wound the, up at Marshall. The Raiders would have stopped his fall at 23. Okay. All right. Because I was going to say, time, he, wouldn't have, he wouldn't have been picked here. I don't think he would have been. The Raiders, they had Tim Brown still, but they would have. But Al Davis would have thought, right? Tim Why Brown yeah. and Randy Moss on yes. the same team. Yes. So it would have been. So the Vikings were picking twenty first. The Patriots, and that would have been ninety. Is that the Pete Carroll Patriots in nineteen ninety eight? It might have been right before that, actually. But it, it was around that time. Okay. They, they wouldn't have stopped his fall. No uh, way the, the Patriots would have done it. And then the Raiders were were twenty third. That Giants, makes the most Jaguars. sense. Yeah, there were, he would have. He would have gone too. I've picks always later. T- told you though. I my my uh, opinion of why the Vikings took Moss is is they had gotten scared when when the New York Times broke the story. I believe it was on draft day or the day before the draft in the Warren Sapp year. Yeah, and and they didn't take Sapp, and a bunch of teams passed, and I think Tampa Bay drafted right after the Vikings and took him. And I've always thought that that's where the Vikings said, if we get another shot at a player like that, we're not passing. Because mm-hmm. like these reports would come, would come out, and I think the Sap report w- was he smoked dope. So think about that. Yeah, you're like you're going to pass on a Hall of Fame talent because he reportedly smoked dope. You know who the if if he had gone past the Vikings, and let's say we're right, yeah, the Raiders are totally Al Davis totally would have taken Randy Moss. You know who his coach would have been, John Gruden. John yeah. Gruden was the coach of the Raiders in 1990. And that would have been great, yeah. Uh, this is Randy Moss. We'll keep playing uh, just a couple more clips here. I want to thank all the true Minnesota Viking fans for being able to stick through with me through thick and thin, ups and downs, bumpy roads. This is for us. This is for us. Isn't it amazing? And, and I, I agree with him that he's he feels beloved. I think Vikings fans, by and large, 90% of them love Randy Moss and forget completely about the second stint, which oh, was got to. a disaster. Forget completely about him playing when he wants to play and the whole like traffic meter police lady thing. When he moved her with his car, yeah. Yeah, like there's all these little things and, and the fact that they didn't win a Super Bowl, not that that was his fault. He was he was one of the best players in the NFL and they just they couldn't play defense and yada yada. But um the bond between Randy Moss and Vikings fans, it's very much Kirby Puckett twins fans. He's in this rarefied era. If you want to go way old school Harmon Killebrew I think had that bond with fans here in the Twin yep. Cities. But if you were just to make a collection of the three to five players and their bond with fans in the state, 
Randy Moss is on that list. Kirby Puckett's on that list. Yep. I, I'm going to put Killer Brew on that list, and then I'd have to think about the KG Garnett, probably on maybe? that list. Yeah. The difference, as I've, I've told you before, I think the difference is this though. I don't know that any other athlete single-handedly did did more for for the franchise as far as the fan base goes. Like Moss, in 97, that was an aging Viking fan base. The Metrodome was pretty boring. Uh, the, in fact, the last game to be blacked out was the last game, the last home game against the Colts before they drafted Moss. I don't think anybody did more as far as, as changing the identity of a team. Moss is, is on my list. He's atop that because... If you go back and look, Kirby was beloved, uh, but I don't know that Kirby completely changed things for the Twins. I think Moss did for the Vikings. I mean, Kirby Puckett changed things. Like he, him being the best player on a team that won the World Series for the first time in franchise history, you could actually argue that Kirby did more for the Twins than Randy did for the Vikings because Kirby delivered Game 6, 1991. He was one of the best players in baseball in 1987. So in terms of what they delivered from a team standpoint... Kirby Puckett is going to be higher up on that list. But, yeah, they're both. All right, this is Randy Moss. Uh, he did go to the Patriots for three years, and mm-hmm. Bill Belichick was there. Did you Was Bill Belichick wearing sandals? Yes. Is that what you saw? He was in okay. sandals. Yes. I didn't see his it, was feet. Gl- it was absolutely glorious. And he was standing next to Robert, Robert Kraft. Kraft. Okay. Yep. I'm sure that was mildly uncomfortable. But, all right, this is Randy Moss. Bill Belichick, I'm not going to forget about you. Booing him. I want to thank you for being a friend when it wasn't always about football. You showed me how much I love the game. You challenged me every day to go out here and be great. You challenged me to be great, coach. And I'm sorry we did not bring it home. It does make you wonder, too, when you look at his productivity in the three years with New England. Mm Mm-hmm. And we talked about the Jerry Rice comparison on the show on Friday. Mm-hmm. That was a three-year glimpse into what life would have been like if Randy Moss had played with a Hall of Fame quarterback and one of the greatest coaches of all time for his entire career. And I'm not not trying to downgrade Denny Green and what and 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 Randy Moss put up ridiculous numbers and productivity with the Vikings. But if you would have had like Jerry Rice, Joe Montana, and Steve Young, and then a Bill Walsh system into, into I almost said Kevin Seifert, into George Seifert. Kevin right? Seifert would have been a great coach himself. But it was Hall of Fame system, mm-hmm. Hall of Fame coach, Hall of Fame quarterback, yep. and it was his whole career. And even at the end of his career, Jerry Rice had uh, Rich Gannon, who was a four- or five-time pro bowler. If you had those three years for Randy Moss, but for like 12 or 15 years instead, just like Jerry Rice had, yep. what would it have been like? Interesting to think about, but we're never going to have it. Answer. It would have won if you if if you had put Randy uh, with, with the Patriots before we had uh, so many guys get traded and or move around uh, via free agency. It would have won three Super Bowl titles. Pa- Patriots probably. Well, they. Well, no. Well, they, I mean, they won three without him. But in, I'm saying, but I'm saying, if if you had put them together, three or four. Well, they won. So he came in the league in '98, and they and without him, they won in 2001, two and three, right? Or no, 2001, three and four. Yeah, uh, and then went undefeated with him in 2007. I mean, yep. you added him to that mix, and they went undefeated. Like but he just. What I love about Moss, though, is this: if you don't think that that he is a smart, calculated cat, the Belichick thing came at the end. So he thanked Kraft like halfway through and the Patriots, and and he was deliberate about going down a list of people that, that he elected to thank and teams, right? Mm-hmm. Like he thanked the Titans. He's like, I was there for a, for a month or so, but thank you. And so I'm thinking to myself as the speech is unfolding, 
is he really going to do it? Is he going to leave Belichick out? Well, how do you think? And he got Belichick in at the end on purpose. How do you think Chris Carter feels that he thanked the Titans but not Chris Carter? He, how long was he up there? For half hour? Seventeen minutes plus. Okay, yeah. it felt like a half so hour. not that long. Okay, but he, but yeah, he thanked he thanked uh, Denny Green. He thanked the Wilfs. He thanked the Vikings and their fans. He did not thank Red McCombs, and he did not thank Chris Carter. I can see Red McCombs. There's a lot of people of that era of Vikings football that felt like Red McCombs was the reason why, as opposed to now, where like Ziggy Wilf just opens up. To, and Red sort of traded him too. Yeah. So that that I can see. He the, thanked the Titans, the C- but not Chris Carter. The CC snub. Was, the CC snub. <laughs> In all seriousness, was glorious. I loved it. I absolutely, I loved you left out, CC. Did he snub Mike Tice, too? Yeah. The man who came up with no the Ticey. ratio? No Tice. What's his beef with Tice? I don't think there's a beef there. I think he I think he had a very deliberate list, though, of people that, that he was going to get to. I don't think that there, I don't even know that there was a, a huge beef with Red or with Tice, but with Chris Carter. Chris Carter, who for how long has told us, yeah. I, I mean, I took him under my wing and I developed him and... To go to go up there, seventeen minutes plus, and no Chris Carter mentioned. Yeah, the, I mean Chris Carter still to this day beats the drum of like me and Randy and like, yes. I, I, I put he Randy under my, my camp wing, right? in Florida. He asked, and I said, only if you're going to work as hard as I do. Chris Carter was even commenting, was it was it part of an athletic story? I saw a story come out last week, and somebody was going back looking at you know Randy Moss coming in the league, and and they quoted Chris Carter talking to Mike Tice or. No, it would have been Denny Green, I guess, 1998. And uh, and his comment was, no, you don't understand. Oh, and it was Brian Billick. He was talking to Brian Billick or right. whatever it was. Like, you don't understand. Yep. This is, if you add him to this team, like, this is going to be a lot better than you think. And and even, so even as of last week, he's going through these overtures. Yeah. He gets snubbed in the Hall of Fame. Speech. Absolutely no mention. And uh, that, yeah, Randy is incredibly bright. And, and his speech, his speech was really good. Uh, but it was completely, you, you could tell, because he got to the end, and I the one thing I thought to myself is Belichick's standing right there, right? Yeah. So is he really going to snub Belichick? And then he's like, I don't forget about you, Coach Belichick. It's Clear. just great moss. Do you think he went off the cuff? Do you think he saw Bill standing there and thought, okay, I mean, Mm-mm. he wasn't in my notes. No way. Randy Moss he traded me to the Vikings. No, Randy Moss is far too defiant. If he was going to snub him for a third round pick, if he was going to snub him, he was not going. He he could look him directly in the, the eye and snub him. No, that was yeah. that was on purpose to lead you down the path of he's not going to thank Bill Belichick, and that's that's when he got it at the end. So that was uh that was it was a fun night. I mean, it's that's about as loaded of a class as you're gonna as you're gonna find for just big names. And there's. Oh, go ahead. Were you oh, I, I was going to say the one thing. The one thing of this entire thing that I cannot get adjusted to: Erlacher with hair. Erlacher with hair to me looks completely wrong. Like it's just, it's no, you can't. I mean, he's making a lot of money on that. You with hair would, would look far more. I I might be like that's weird, but I wouldn't well, be freaked out by. I mean, I've had hair. Throughout. Yeah, right, right. But I'm saying Erlacher all of a sudden post career to show up with hair. Mm-hmm. And I still, I've he's seen him on like billboards five times. all over Chicago. Still. I know. I can't get used to it. He's, seems wrong. he's breaking in the dough. Well, and good for him, but it still seems weird. And it's restoration. It's not like I shave my head. Not that I don't have a receding hairline, right, but, but you like, I shave my head back. because I just like to shave my head. Yeah. Brian Erlacher had no hair. Right. And they restored his hair. Right. I think he should have stayed ching, with, ching. with no hair, but good for him. Um, so we have Jason Stark's going to join us a day early. He'll join us at 930. So we'll catch up with him in about 20 minutes. Lindsey Whalen, weekly appearance at 10 o'clock. Wetmore on Twins in the 11. Matthew Collar from training camp. So we're into this Hall of Fame speech uh, mode right now. 
I was very much on the fence about a guy. <laughs> and I don't even know why I was on the fence about this guy, but <laughs> I don't either. That has changed over the weekend. Let's talk about that when we come back. Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studio. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Guys, I thought we were in a hurry. On 1500 ESPN. 1999, 1999-2001 may have been some of the darkest moments of my life. All right, before we play that whole clip of Psychobabble, this is Randy Moss. One more clip from Randy Moss. But we're going to get into Ray Lewis here in a second. All right. It's just a, just a little teaser of Ray Lewis' Psychobabble, but this mm-hmm. is Randy Moss. I think this is how he wrapped it up, if I'm not mistaken. I know a lot of people out there struggling. Really wanted to see a young kid from Rand, West Virginia. Grew up the same way that a lot of kids out there grew up. Struggling, single parent, single family homes. But I cannot forget my small, unincorporated community, Rand, West Virginia. Yeah, that was, he, yeah that, that was really good stuff. The 30 for 30 yep. is so good and uh, worth watching if you haven't, but... Yeah, Randy Moss. We'll play some of those later on, too, if you didn't see his Hall of Fame speech. All right. Ray Lewis. He's a psycho. I think we all agree, right? Like, Ray Lewis is a frothing-at-the-mouth lunatic. Is it fair to say, now that we've he's seen a, him speak at the Hall of Fame and oh, we've I, seen him on ESPN post-career? The ESPN stint is the one that tipped me, me off because the pregame show is not supposed to be uh, preaching about things. It's like... it. The best way I can put it is Ray's entire life seems to operate within the confines of a locker room. It's yeah, like he's al- it's it. like he's always talking to a group of football players before a game. It's always it felt- never turns off. So I'll take it a step further. It's always felt to me like he's been he's been shielding himself, and I guess shield is, is probably the right word. That he, it, it's like he's been shielding himself with football and religion in order to. Cover up for transgressions or something. Could, can't imagine what those transgressions. I was say, might what be. are those transgressions yeah. you're talking about? I have no idea. It's, it it always feels a little bit fake and forced, but he's been able to make it. He's it, it feels fake, forced, and contrived, but it feels like him now. So he's it's yeah. like he's playing this character. It's the character. All the time. It's the character he's he has elected to become. And beyond that character, I have no idea who this guy is. Yes. So let's play a couple clips from Ray Lewis, and then there was a story that came out over the weekend. Monday morning quarterback Robert Klemko wrote a firsthand account from five years ago when he worked at USA Today, a run-in he had with Ray Lewis behind the scenes in the locker room that I don't think he had talked about publicly. for. I think he kept it quiet for five years. But uh, first, here is Psycho Ray Lewis inducted into the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame class 2018, too many great names, man. Dawkins, Moss, Kramer, Brazier, Urlacher, Owens, Berthard. I'm just honored to be up here. Birth but there's art. something I have to ask. Mispronounce the name. I always got to leave with an ask. And let's get out of here after this ask, man. But for all of us up here, it's how we reacted to these challenges in our lives that determine our greatness. Now, how do we react in this moment? How do we turn our legend into legacy? Okay. How are you going to turn your legend into legacy? He's confident that I'm like a player and I now want to go through a wall. <laughs> like, seriously. That, that's what he's thinking. He's thinking that everybody is like a player before a game, as opposed to those of us who sit there and watch that and are like, "Yeah, really? Really? You're, really? Yeah. So there's another soundbite we're going to save here because it's him talking about sort of alluding to the adversity slash murder 
from what 2000 <laughs> that's never been said before adversity, adversity slash murder you know this murder is really there's just a lot yeah. of consternation about it adversity i mean all right here so this is this is i'm just going to summarize this this is from monday morning quarterback and robert klemko is the right so robert klemko covers the nfl beat and uh and this was so he's he's going back to 2013 ray lewis's last year in the nfl and and robert was covering nfl at large as their first round playoff game was on the horizon here. I think the playoff game was on a Saturday and uh, USA Today was running a piece that week interviewing the family of the Atlanta murder victims. So looking back 13 years prior and the editor of the sports section USA Today asked Robert to seek comment from Ray Lewis. Now you've been an NFL journalist for a large part of your career. It's pretty custom that if or customary that if if you're running a, a piece, so this is this doesn't have to be sports; it could be anything, right? Right. You're going to run a piece that that might uh, reflect poorly on somebody. Yep. You're going to try and get a response from that person. It's only fair, right, to get both sides of a story. So you go. They wanted to get Ray Lewis's thoughts right. on the story right. about the Atlanta murder victims, and you're going to try and do it privately if possible. Mm-hmm. Like a presser, like with tw- 25 people there, yes. is a really hard place to ask that. So so the way he went about this, Klemko did, is absolutely correct, which is let's keep this as private as possible and give you an opportunity to respond. Right, and that's the conundrum for, for anyone covering the NFL, is that star players are only available in limited doses, maybe twice a week, once after the game, once midweek, and it's always a massive group session with 20, 30, 40 cameras and reporters and journalists. So... He went to Ray privately in the locker room, and this is the transcribed interaction between the two. Uh, Ray, may I speak to you privately about something serious? And Ray said, just go ahead. Well, we're going to do a story with interviews of the families of the victims in Atlanta, and I have a few questions for you. I want to give you an opportunity to comment. And Lewis said, are you serious? And Klemko goes, yes, it's our responsibility to give you a chance to comment out of fairness to you. Uh, you want to, uh, and then Ray responded, "You want to talk to me about something that happened 13 years ago, right now? Who's that fair to, me or you?" And Klemko said, "Well, it's fair to you. We're giving you a chance to comment here. You're a public figure, and uh, a subject of an emotionally charged story. You should have the ability and opportunity to comment." And Ray Lewis said, "Respectfully, this is my my space. You need to go find your space right now." So I mean, that interaction, okay, whatever. Like it's a no comment. He blew it off. If it ended right there, I would have thought, all right, he just doesn't he, he doesn't want to talk about it. Yep. So from that point forward, the rest of the day and then the rest of the short week, Klemko was harassed verbally by Ravens PR people and by Ravens players, all of them wondering, why would you ever why would you ever come in here and muckrake like that? Why would you want to ask Ray Lewis questions about something that happened thirteen years ago? Even though Ray Lewis has barely commented at all on this. Yep. Other than like vague which you're going to hear his soundbite from the Hall of Fame. And this speech. is why. Yep. So they get to the playoff game day on Saturday, and the Ravens win in overtime. And Klemko goes in to interview players about the game, and he's going to write a game story. And players are like usher, trying to usher him out of the locker room, and PR people are still giving him a hard time. And Ray Lewis walks up to him in a towel, and Klemko writes, He delivered a line I'll never forget. Lewis puts a hand on Klemko's shoulder and says, Whatever you're saying, I forgive you. You were number one in my prayers last night. You don't have to apologize to me. Yep. Think about that. Well, yeah. Think about how unbelievably arrogant and twisted that is. Hey, Robert, I know you were just you were asking me questions. You don't have to apologize for that. 
Right. I forgive you, and, and basically, and God forgives and you. And Clemco turned around and said, I'm not going to apologize. But think about this one. This is why, so so if fans ever wonder why why th- those of us in this end of the business are skeptical of guys who are big on God, and some are legit, okay? But this is why. It's like, okay, so God is your shield to defend you. Like like you're saying, I am I am praying for you. Why are you praying for me? I, I asked you a question. And, and Clemco, by the way, was not even the main guy on the story, as you said. He was getting a response. They were trying to be fair, mm-hmm. but this, but this is the very reason why a lot of people who invoke God, you're like, I don't know about this. It because feels fraudulent it, with yes. Ray. It does, and and there's and and he's not the only one. But there are people that do this, and you're like, this isn't true at all. Like you don't believe this. It's just a shield for you. And I think it would be, it would be different if Ray had spent the last 13 years openly answering any question. Hey, you guys, let's. I'm on level with you. I know that there's a lot of stuff that looks really bad in my past, uh, from the the plea agreement to the the missing white suit and all these things. And you know what? I'm just gonna I'll sit here for an hour and anything you want to ask me, let's have an open discussion about it. But it sounds like, according to Robert Klemko and other people who've covered him, you can't even you can't even get close to a conversation like that because he's been shielded for all these years. And the Ravens did a great job of that. Yeah. So this is Ray Lewis. If you're wondering, okay, he's going to get up there. He's going to babble for a half hour and say whatever he wants to say. Is he going to address any of this at all? Is he going to talk about the incident that he may or may not have been directly involved with? And this is this is like a minute long. This is this is the clip. 1999, 1999-2001 may have been some of the darkest moments of my life. But I tell you something. When God says, "Can you hear me now?" He sends you a family to make sure you're okay while you're going through what you're going through. What you did for me, what my Atlanta family did for me, Mona Lisa, listen to you. What y'all did for me, Steve Bashotti. What you believed in me, Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps. What? What? How many times, man, you sat in the same house looking at each other? What we said, Baltimore is our city. We'll do anything for Baltimore. Anything. That's the way you end it. Yeah. A lot of people call you the greatest greatest Olympian ever. I call you one of my greatest friends, brother. I appreciate you, man. I just find it amazing that he's able to take this this period where People were murdered, and his involvement is very much questioned, and no one, no one's ever going to apparently know the real involvement. Yep. And he turns it toward him as adversity that he went through, I and love, me, me, he, I, I, I. He turns it towards Michael Phelps. And Michael Phelps. This is our town. What does that have to do with it? It has nothing to do with anything. I'm so unclear about it. If in his mind he's moved on from talking about the 99 through 2001 period at that time, because as Max pointed out before the show, Michael Phelps was born in 85, which means he was either 14, 15, or 16 well, years old in the right. years he was talking about. And they were sitting in a house, and he was getting Here, life advice from a 15-year-old? Here's what I'm convinced of. Here, here's what I'm Let's conv- fix your backstroke, Ray. Here's what I'm convinced of with guys like Ray, who have gotten things their entire lives, and, and when things go wrong, they're, they're so good at sports that, that they have a shield put up around them. I'm also convinced, because I've seen this act before, 
what they rely on is creating confusion by what they say. Like he just he just brought up a double murder. Okay. Like a time period around. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And he started with that. The toughest time of my life. And then I think what, what people like Ray Lewis do is they then go down a path of creating so much confusion that by the time yeah. he's done, you got no idea. What, I mean, Michael Phelps. Yeah. Like, but I've seen this act before. And in his mind, if I could interpret correctly, I don't know what the timeline is. It sounds like he had, it sounds like he goes through the 99th through 2001 period and then eventually gets married and has kids shortly after that, right? And the way he frames it is, man, I went through this terrible adversity, even though like it was two other people who got killed that night. Sure. And to help me through this adversity that I went through, God hand delivered me a family. It's like he's he has not, Ray Lewis has nothing to do with outcomes in his life at all. And no, it's I don't all know, God. man. It just it's fe- all God. It, it it feels so dirty to me. And I was on the fence going into the weekend See, for some reason. You guys were out on Ray Lewis. I was out. And reading this story and hearing it, oh God, it makes it makes my skin crawl when I read that part about him going up to the reporter who's just asking for right. a comment about a story that's being written right. about the families of the murder victims, and not only is it a no comment and harassment for like forty eight hours, it's Ray going up to this guy and saying, "Hey, I you were number one in my prayers last mm-hmm. night, and uh, you don't have to apologize to me." Okay, buddy. Ray Lewis is the very definition of why if, if you respect a player for, for what, what he can do on the field, that's fine. But this is why I never get caught up in thinking that, oh, man, that guy must be a, a great guy. Yeah, this I, is the ultimate test I of mean, separating the art from the artist. Absolutely. Right? And you know what? Randy Moss spent a lot of his life being a first-class jerk. The bottom line was he, he is, is one of the greatest players at his position in the history of that league. But, like, I never looked at Moss and said, oh, you know, he's he's a smart guy. But I never looked at Moss and said, there's a good guy. I did look at Moss and say, there's an unbelievable talent. Yeah. All right, we got to get to Jason Stark here. We'll come back to Hall of Fame stuff, and we got plenty of Viking stuff on the horizon. In fact, Matthew Kyler is going to join us from training camp later in the show. But Jason Stark joining us a day early, and we got to talk a little Johan with him when we come back. People, people, I have an important announcement. Mackie and Judd are back after this brief timeout Whoa. on 1500 ESPN. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. They're buffoons. Mackey and Judd. They are not buffoons. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are talking twins. Now, now, with MLB Network contributor and senior baseball writer with The Athletic, Jason Stark. Brought to you by Grundhofer's Old Fashioned Meats. Bring the excitement of Grundhofer's to your next cookout. All right. We're bringing him in on a Monday here. Mackie and Judd, Jason Stark from The Athletic and from Stadium TV, where you can find his baseball stories on a regular basis. What's going on, Jason? How are you? Hey, I'm good, man. How are you? We're doing all right. So, Johan, we want to talk to you about Johan Santana a little bit. I know we did this, uh, I think it was earlier this summer when we were talking about, or maybe it was earlier in the year, I can't remember, but Johan Santana was inducted into the Twins Hall of Fame uh, over the weekend, and it got us thinking about his career and how this was, this ceremony at Target Field was probably the most fanfare that he's going to receive because he's no longer on the, the Baseball Writers uh, Hall of Fame ballot, so you can cross that off the list. And there's really no other honor beyond Team Hall of Fame that he's going to receive fanfare for. And it just feels like for a guy who is arguably him neck and neck with Roy Halladay, the best pitcher over an era, over like an eight to ten year era, that his legacy and career are going to just sort of go out with a whimper. And that, I don't know, it just feels weird. Yeah, I I, I can relate to that. Um, 
you know, I, I take every name on that Hall of Fame ballot seriously. I give every single name. I try to give every single name a, a proper look and a deep dive. And when I got to Johan, my first instinct was almost, I'd love to find a way to vote for this guy. Right. And then it's just really difficult to justify based on the career. But if you just look at the peak, there's so so many similarities to Sandy Koufax yep. outside of the the championships in, the, in, in October. You'd really have to work hard to talk yourself into it, but I hope someday some veterans committee will take a look at Johan in a different light. So what what was the deciding factor to you when when you decided that you couldn't uh, couldn't mark that box off by Johan's name, Jason? Well, I, the peak would get him in. The it, it, it's hard to justify in any other way. I, you know. Uh, 139 wins. There's just no precedent for a starting pitcher to make it into the Hall of Fame with 139 wins. And you know, maybe if a guy got 139 wins today, with you know, with pitchers getting taken out after <laughs> five and a third, yeah. it'd be one thing. But in Johan's time, I, it just wasn't enough. And the, the ballot's so crowded anyway. Mike Messina's not in. Kurt Schilling's not in. I just couldn't get there. And I'm telling you, I wanted to because there was nobody that I enjoyed watching more than Johan. And there was nobody I enjoyed being around more than Johan. Uh, I was on MLB Network last week, and, and Ron Darling was there, and he obviously was around him in New York. And we were talking about just what an incredible presence that guy had. He was just a special human being. If he if he he had at least gotten to a World Series with the Mets or Twins, Jason, would, would that have changed things? Do you think, as far as how the the uh, voters examined his case? I, I, I don't think so. To be honest with you, I I don't think the the present voting group would elect a guy with 139 wins. Even as we all start to evolve away from looking at win totals, it's one thing to overlook a, a guy who barely wins 200. But a guy who's at 139, that just the, the counting numbers don't work in his favor is the problem. And yet, you know, I'm a guy who once wrote a book about the most overrated and underrated players in baseball history. And boy, did I get myself involved in a crazy debate when I made Sandy <laughs> Koufax the most overrated left-handed starter wow. in <laughs> history. And, and really, the reason... Whoa, hold was, on, hold on, Jason. Whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa. Hold on. Wait for it. Hot Take Cops is recorded on location with the men and women of Sports Talk. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in Hot Take Court. We 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 got to move this into hot take court here. Okay, okay, okay. We're gonna we're, we're gonna leave the Johan Santana discussion right now for for briefly. Yeah, the, the Kofax. Uh, <laughs> this is interesting. I like this. Continue. Yeah. Well, you know, let me just explain what overrated and underrated is. Uh, overrated does not mean he stunk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> overrated, underrated is perception versus actuality, and you know, Sandy Kofax had the four greatest back-to-back-to-back-to-back seasons 
of the last like 90 years, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think we can agree on that. Uh, if you really want to be permissive about his period of greatness, you could stretch it to six years. But the problem was the other six years. And I, I think that he benefited from walking away from the sport when he was clearly the greatest pitcher of his era. There was no decline. Right? Our, if you close your eyes and your memory of Sandy Koufax is, is World Series dominance and greatness. But that period only went on a really short period of time. And the first six years of his career, I mean, he was, it's hard to even argue he was an average major league starter. And so it was just a perception versus reality thing. I, I, I am and was incredibly respectful of his level of greatness in the great years. It just, it's just fair to point out the other years. That's all I was doing. Yeah, no, that's... <laughs> People didn't get it. No, I get what you're saying. That's really interesting. And it's funny, so um, the counting stats versus rate stats, so things that you would measure, like an ERA is a a rate stat, wins are a counting stat, and I mean, Sandy Koufax only had 165 career wins, and would Johan have 139? And so I think the biggest difference, I guess number one would be era, too, because his ERA, just based on the era, is, is one of the lower ones, but he... He performed in the postseason and was part of three championship teams. And I wonder if Johan had even one ring. If the 2006 Twins that had the right. MVP, the batting champion, uh, goal, couple gold glovers, and Johan and Francisco Liriano before the injury, if that team had gone on to win the World Series, and Johan's resume is the exact same, but, oh, he pitched amazingly well in October and has a World Series, I wonder... That's why Jack Morris is in. I mean, Jack Morris is very borderline with regular season numbers, but Game 7, 1991, is eventually what put his legend over the top. And Johan and, and Joe Maurer is going to wind up having the same problem, too. Well, I think that's true. Now, uh, the Jack Morris versus Johan debate is fascinating. As you guys know, I was a member of the Modern Era Committee that elected Jack Morris last winter. Yeah. And you know, I can't get into all the specifics. But I can tell you that one of the questions that the players in the, in the room asked repeatedly, not just about Jack Morris, but about every name that we looked at, uh, you know, Dale Murphy is a, is a great example, Don Mattingly is a great example. The question was, how long would you say he was great? You know, and Steve Hurt from the Ohio Sports Bureau and I were the two they kept asking these questions of. And I think it's obvious from the way they voted, or the way we voted as a committee, that those players, the baseball people, really valued an extended period of greatness as opposed to uh, a Don Mattingly-type five years of being clearly one of the best players in baseball. But it, then it just didn't go on long enough. Mm-hmm. And I, so I think if, if the thinking were to remain the same, mm-hmm. Johan would have an incredibly difficult time with one of those veterans committees, too. Um, but, but you're right. Jack Morris, not just in that game in 91, but in his entire postseason career until that last year with the Blue Jays, was clearly... Uh, a man you wanted to hand the ball to in October. It's what aces were to that group. And, I mean, look, you wanted to hand the ball to Johan, but it's just 
almost felt like stuff always happened. Maybe if they weren't playing the Yankees every year, that stuff <laughs> that might have helped out, yeah, Jason. Yeah, it's problem. So, so I've uh, been through that. So, if I'm not mistaken, Jack also spent 15 years on the initial ballot, correct? And yes, he did. didn't get in. How, how much do you think it's going to down the road uh, hurt Santana's case? That I, I think the max that you can spend now is ten years, but he's off now, so he, he's not going to come back up for a vote now for an, another nine years or so until a uh, di- different committee gets to him. Do you think that hurts his case since he's going to be off the ballot completely? Uh, well, I would say not necessarily. And the 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 guy to refer to there is Ted Simmons. Ted Simmons was one and done on the writers' ballot and missed getting elected by the Modern Era Committee by one vote. Wow. Okay. So uh, I I think that tells me that group is willing to look at every single name that comes before it with fresh eyes. And I think that can and should benefit Johan. I guess my question is just the, the perspective that the group will have. One of the things that was striking about being on the, the committee that elected Morris Trammell was every single player in the room was a player from that era and had played against him. Well, if mm. when Johan appears on that ballot, every single player in that room is someone who had to bat against Johan or, or duel Johan yeah. uh, on the mound, they'll remember he was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he, here's a tough one, but but what, given what you said about Colfax's career, how much do you think Maurer's going to be penalized for not doing that? So if Maurer had caught, had concussions and said, I'm done, he, he goes out with three batting titles, and and you know we, we, we would look on him now as one of the greatest hitting catchers of all time with no baggage thereafter at first base. How much do you think it impacts him that he didn't walk away after he was done catching? Uh, I think there's no doubt it has an impact that voters remember what they saw last. Uh, it, it, you know, look at how long it took, say, Gary Carter to get elected. And that was because the Gary Carter, uh, who played, say, for the Dodgers at the end of his career, was just a shadow of uh, the great catcher he was in Montreal and New York. And so uh, there's no doubt that that leaves an impression. But, you know, I looked at when, when Joe got his 2,000th hit this year, um, it was, a, it was uh, the next day. I was, it was another one of my MLB Network days, and we talked about him nonstop. And I, w- I was on Chris Russo's show and said I thought Joe Maurer was a was a clear Hall of Famer yeah. based on his time as a catcher, which wasn't you know two weeks; it was ten years. Yeah. And I see. I think the comp for Joe Maurer is Ernie Banks. Ernie Banks was a Hall of Fame shortstop. He was a very average first baseman. In fact, I wasn't really planning to just type my overrated, underrated book all day <laughs> to the show. Ernie Banks appeared twice. His most, he was on the most underrated shortstop list, but the most overrated first baseman list. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and you know, Joe Maurer is a first baseman. You know, he's, he's, just another, he's just another guy who gets on base a lot. Yeah. But he's he's not a he's not in any kind of Hall of Fame discussion for this portion of his career. But the catching part of his career went on for ten years. Yeah, yeah, and it definitely it definitely matters. All right, we got a couple more minutes left here, and you've got trivia, so let's do this, Jason Stark. You're really not going to like this question, okay? You're just not going to like it. But glad you're starting out that way. I'm just telling you. All right, <laughs> here's the question, Johan. As you guys remember, just was. Your, your basic 
automatic league leader in ERA, and I did it, did it two different times. Who's the only other twin to lead the American League in ERA? Okay. It, you're not going to like this. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, I know. All right. I know who yeah. it is. Yeah. Joe Mays. That's a really awesome guess, but it's not your... No! Oh, no! So much confidence! No! I bought it! No! I bought it with no discussion! You're, you're We're not going to like it? You're, you're, so it's got to be somebody the, like that. You got the idea. Uh, Joe Mays was oh, so oh, good. Oh, I got it! 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 Because... It, he he did, he skipped his last start of the '89 season, if I'm not mistaken, oh. to win this title. Alan Anderson. Yeah. 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 If I'm not mistaken, Tom Kelly was PO'd because he wouldn't go out there and make his last start because he was such a wimp, unlike Teddy Ballgame. It was it was '88. '88. All right, but that that's great. Joe Mays was third in 2005. Oh, uh, Joe Mays! Tremendous work. I don't know. Are we giving credit for this since you've guessed Joe Mays first? Mm. I, I'd like no! to. No, come oh. on, Harrigan. We were going to guess Ryan Domit again, but we decided <laughs> against that. We were hung up on. Yeah, right? Phil was hung up on Domit the whole time, the whole week. The whole week. When, when did Dad guess Jim Cotter, Camilo Pasquale? But they're wrong. Exactly. I was thinking yeah. Frankie V for a second, but yeah, Alan Anderson because uh-huh. he skipped his last start of that season. Yeah, I tried to lead you into it as best I could, man. Awesome. Jason, thank you. We'll I'm catch up Phil. next week. Thanks, Jason. Bye. That was fun. See you guys. See ya. All right, Jason Stark from The Athletic. I'm sorry. I, But you know what? The <laughs> fact that we just named Alan Anderson and Joe Mays yep. counts for something. Absolutely makes the show. Yep. Mackie and Judd are back. I have indeed been uploaded, sir. We're online and ready. On 1500 ESPN. This is your final chance to win a trip for four to Craigan's 1500 ESPN's Majors Fantasy Golf Challenge is back for the final major of the year, that being the PGA Championship. Select your nine players from the featured groups that you think will combine for the lowest total score and sit back and watch the field unfold. You have until 6.55 a.m. this Thursday, August 9th, to make all those selections. Head to 1500ESPN.com to sign up and make the picks. Thank you, Dave. So Joe, Joe Mays, ah, I was so sure, but you had it. You had it, Alan Anderson. I remember it. Yes. I remember that. Uh, Joe Mays had that one incredible year in 2002. Let's see here. 2000, oh, it was 2001 when they almost made the playoffs. He was an all-star. He finished with a 3.16 earned run average, pitched 233 and two-thirds innings. That might have been a problem. Yeah, because it eventually led to Tommy John surgery and... He was really like he that, never came that back was, from that really right. No, in fact, that was his only season with an ERA. Well, he had one other year with an ERA under five, and it was his rookie year in 1999. But they gave, they awarded him or rewarded him, I guess, with a big contract at the time. They paid him 2.3 million the next year, 4.1 million the year after that, 5.7 million, and 7.2 million in 2005. So they the they cheap thought, it? oh my god. They thought he was the guy. Yes, clearly. And uh, it was a disaster. So, anyways, we were, we were talking about Johan during the break, too, and his Hall of Fame. The fact that he, the fact that it's not even a discussion, that it was yep. just one and done, no discussion, just sits wrong with me. And I, the fact that he, the fact that he might not have gotten in, um, I, I think is a conversation where it's ridiculous is he received 2.4% of the votes. He's off the ballot now. Yes. For, for the next nine years, he's gone. So, 
I have a scenario for you, though, under which he would have remained on the ballot for sure. And he might and, and he might have gotten in via the via the writers in this scenario, but he would be on the ballot right now for sure. Flip his time spent in Minnesota and with the Mets. He spent his last four years from his age 29 through through 33 seasons mm-hmm. with the Mets. Let's say he's in the Rule 5 draft, and I believe it was a Marlins-Twins trade ultimately in which he originally originated in Houston. So let's say it's the Mets, though. Mm-hmm. So let's say the Mets the Mets make the Rule 5 deal and get him from Florida at the time. He is on the ballot for sure now. If he had spent the dominant years pitching for the Mets. You're saying he's he, he doesn't get in necessarily, but he gets more than 2% of the vote. He's on the ballot right now. And what do you need, 10%? To five, get to- 5%, I think. God. I think I think it's 5% to stay. But I'm just... If he had if he had pitched the the dominant years of his career as a Met, there is no way that he's off that yeah. ballot already. The criteria as it's perceived by the writers is off to me. And I actually have a couple great examples that we can let's take a phone call here. Six five one six four six eight two five five. John, you're on with Mackie and Judd. Hey John. Hi, how you doing guys? Good man, what's up? Well, I'm just gonna go into running aces to play the Monday morning tournament, but oh boy. I was listening to your deal with Ray Lewis. And there's a book that both of you should read, Spy the Lie. It's written by three CIA agents, and you can pick it up for about twelve ninety five on the Internet. And uh, it's Spy the Lie. And, and once you read that book, uh, it's these guys who worked 30 years and developed a model for telling whether or not somebody is not telling the truth. And there's no question, just listening to those deals this morning that you had, that that Ray Lewis is lying right through his teeth. Overprojecting, yeah. Yeah, and it would be a great one for you guys anyway. Good to talk to you, well, and uh, great program. And, John, real quick, because it sounds like you're a poker guy if you're going out to running aces on a Monday, and I love that because I'm a poker guy. It's uh, like, and there, there was a book written that I'm sure you've read, Mike Caro's Poker Tells was one of the first big, like, are they lying at the poker table uh, books? And you can apply it to, to human interactions in any form. And one of the biggest, well, most basic things is when someone's lying, they're overacting and overprojecting in order to throw you off the trail. And that's what Ray Lewis reeks of to me. Exactly. You got it right on the head. Yep. And then there, you, you don't take one or two, but you take at least three or more uh, instances that when they're speaking or trying to, as they're talking, you can pick them out. You can even tell if your kids are or your wife is or somebody else, someone. Some friend, you can you. I, I you just have to listen to him. Whenever I listen to an interview uh, on uh, the the uh, television, I watch the guy. I can tell whether or not the you know you always got these politicians, and you're wondering are they telling the truth or not. It's a great book. Spy the lie. You can't miss. Awesome, thanks, John. John. Thanks for the phone call, man. And good luck at running aces today. Man, after your own heart. Yeah. Spending his free time going to play poker. Running Ace is one of the main sponsors of uh, Mackie and Judd on-demand content. We appreciate that. That was not even an infomercial right there. Just natural, organic content. <laughs> Let's talk to Lindsey Whalen when we come back. We'll get, we've got more on Hall of Fame stuff, uh, the Johan Santana conversation. We'll get Derek Wetmore in here to talk some twins at 1130. But Lindsey Whalen joins us when we come back. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Just a reminder, this station does not endorse this. On 1500 ESPN.